let's transition to the sermon this morning. We're going to talk about Romans, through the book of Romans. That's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through it, and we're going to do this through, we're going to roam through Romans, yes. Uh, and... Uh, Terrible. Um, we're gonna, uh, but we're gonna do that. We're gonna work our way through Romans. I'm not sure how long. We're probably gonna go through. I'm looking right now at going pretty much almost chapter by chapter. And the reason why is because in past series, well, there's two things I want to say about that. One is we're used to doing topical messages, and once in a while we take breaks. This has sort of been our rhythm for a bunch of years now. And um, I felt like this was time for break for me personally from doing topical things. And I needed to get my head back into, into um, you know, really working through something pretty methodically, which isn't my natural style to work methodically. But anyways, um, it's very good for me. So um, I'd like to go through Romans for that reason. Um, secondly, the reason why we're doing this more as a chapter by chapter versus like trying to trying to say things in a matter of four weeks when it's multiple chapters, many more chapters in four, uh, is that um, we miss out on so much. And one of the things that's so important, I think, for us in terms of growth is in, this is one of our values. We've got this on our website. We've talked about it a lot as a team recently. And that is our values are we want to be rooted in scripture. And I want to be clear. This is where I get a little nerdy and a little bit accurate and precise on words. But sometimes we say we're guided by scripture. And there's nothing really bad about saying that. But I think it's better to say we're guided by the spirit. That's actually more biblical, actually. That's, the, that's how scripture speaks about being guided is guided by, not by scripture, but by, by spirit. We're rooted, however, in scripture. And, um, and that's, that's who we are. So that's what we do. We rooted everything in scripture, but we're informed and guided by the spirit because scripture doesn't speak to the issues that are going on today. Sometimes it does, but it's talking to people 2000 years ago. It's really difficult for us to understand this because we get our Bibles on our, on our computers, on our phones, we get it everywhere, right? So it seems to be like it's written to us, but it's not written to us. It's written for us in mind or for us, but it's not written to us. There's a distinction. So when we understand that, then we actually start to ask ourselves better questions. Like, what are the questions that the Bible or the author who's writing this particular book is seeking to answer in his day? And then can we behave similarly with the issues that are going on in our day? Okay. So in our previous series, we talked about this thing called discernment. How are we supposed to make decisions? Well, I said we have to make them imperfectly because if you wait till you get it perfect, you're not going to get it at all. So discernment means we're at the bet to the best of our ability. We think this is the way we're supposed to do this and handle this situation. And that's the way the Bible did it. That's the way the book of Acts looks. It's like, well, we think we're supposed to do this. Oh, I guess we weren't. I guess we made a mistake. And then there's a pivot. There's a change. Um, and God doesn't seem to have a problem with that at all. It seems like that's that's part of the way it works. It's not about getting it right and wrong that that's really the way the Bible is driven. It's not. It's driven much more by story and journey. You have to actually move forward and stumble and make mistakes in order to actually grow. That seems to be part of the process. And it's good for us. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. We can say that. I have some special words that I reserve for that that uh, I can't say here, but yeah, they... <laughs> That's the way it feels sometimes. And I remember after a series of a bunch of bad things happening to me, 
like literally like a stream of everything unfortunate and people were laughing because it seemed like every week I had a new accident that happened to me that I did something. I fell through a window, severed a tendon, had to have that surgery. And then literally three days later, I'm driving and a drunk driver blows through a stoplight. I smack into them, re-injure my hand. I get out of my car and I literally went, what else? Anything else? And, uh, it was one of those moments where, you know, it, you realize like, oh, life is, life is full of uh, surprises and accidents. And, and sometimes we make mistakes along the way. Oftentimes, many times, most of the time, perhaps we make mistakes. That isn't the problem. And we're going to look at what the actual problem is for Paul as he writes the book of Romans, because he does have a problem and he does have a problem with certain people and he's going to say it. And the way he begins in Romans chapter one is he's speaking to Jews and non-Jews. And this is a big issue in his day. It would be like a church filled with liberals and conservatives in one room. That's exactly, that's the best parallel we can have today. It's as, dis, it's as divisive as it was then. It's the way it is today. So he's addressing both and he's saying, there's a problem I have. And the problem is that some of you know better, but you're still repressing. You're choosing to repress that truth for the sake of your own personal gains, your own personal comforts. And that's the problem Paul has. And that's where he begins in Romans chapter one. He starts out by saying, um, we'll read through it. I'm going to um, read the entire, actually, why don't we have someone else read the entire, who wants to read the entire chapter of Romans chapter one? Not the entire chapter, but a good section of it. The wrath of God is being revealed from the heaven against all the good godliness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that God, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God. They neither glorified as they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for image for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who forever praised, who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received, them, received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do, they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, 
arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Okay, thank you so much. So <clears throat> let's begin with, a, first of all, a little bit of context to, uh, to Romans. Romans is, as I said earlier, a church. It's, it's two churches in Rome. They're, it's not to a particular church, but to churches in Rome. Uh, Rome had become, um, had grown with a lot of people coming and, and beginning to follow Jesus who were primarily first Jew, and then suddenly there's a bunch of non-Jews coming in, and that was new because as far as the Jews were concerned, the way God was going to redeem or, or, or solve the problems of this world was going to be through ethnic Jews, not through Gentiles, but through Jews, because that was God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham was, I'm going to uh, make you uh, enormously wealthy. I'm going to give you plenty of children, more children than you can ever count, and they're going to fill the earth. So to the Jewish mindset, it was somehow Israel is going to grow, 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 become some glorious nation. And then anybody who wants to be part of what we have and who we are is going to have to convert to us and become like us and practice ethnic Judaic, uh, Judaic uh, behaviors, rituals, and everything else that's involved in that, including for men become cir becoming circumcised. So it's very like real, like you had to go all the way in if you were going to become um, one of the people that were part of this blessed Jewish group of people. And suddenly something has shifted here, and that's not the way it's happening. And so people are coming in and beginning to follow God and follow Jesus, and they're not converting to the faith. But they're following. They're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. But they're not converting. And that's a problem because they're saying you should convert. You have to convert first. Following is not enough. But for Paul, Paul is making the case, and he's going to make the case all the way through to chapter 2. No, 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 no. It's not about belonging to a category it's about what do you actually do? <laughs> He's going to get really like, I don't care about this other stuff. This is really what I'm after. Are you following God? Are you actually changing and transforming in your ways? If you're not, you can call yourself a Jew. That doesn't mean anything. You can call yourself a non-Jew. doesn't mean anything. Right? So this is where he's, he's getting at. And what he starts by saying right at the beginning here, as, as we uh, read, is that the problem that Paul has, remember I said there's a problem Paul has. It's not with people who are ignorant. And he's taken his cue from Jesus. Jesus never had a problem with people who didn't know and who were just going about life and were asleep, perhaps, to themselves and asleep to other people, just not aware of what they were doing or who they were. And God doesn't seem to have a problem, neither does Je Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with them. What does Jesus do when people are blind? He opens their eyes. That's the metaphor. That's the, the, the healing, but it's a metaphor to say, I don't have a problem with people who are ignorant. What I do with folks who are ignorant is I open their eyes. I heal them. That's the gift I give. My problem is with people who know and with their behavior because of their positions of power, whatever rank they have, and this was a very stratified culture, so everybody had a rank, Whatever the rank they have, they're utilizing that. To pre they're preserving that. 
and they don't pay attention to how it's impacting other people. They know better, but they choose nonetheless to continue in their behavior. And by that, they suppress the truth is what Paul says. By their wickedness, they suppress the truth. Okay, you with me so far? So now he says they're suppressing the truth and the reader, the listener who would have heard this back 2000 years ago would have said, ah, clearly he's speaking about those liberals, <laughs> the Gentiles, obviously, because that's not us. We've been trying to tell them the same thing. And, 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 and the non-Jews would have said, it must be the, he must be going after the Jews. And then what Paul does is cleverly, he sets this up and he says, see, what happens is that they knew God, which is revealed, as he says in chapter one, as you just heard, revealed through nature. Nature exemplifies God somehow, he's saying. You can see God in nature. Now, picture your favorite nature scene. Everybody has to have one, right? Where you are either in the middle of the woods and it's nighttime and you begin to hear different sounds and you realize you're rather small in the midst of all of this. And there's a deeply moving, humbling experience in that moment. Or you gaze up at the sky at night when you're in the middle of the country and there is no natural light and the stars are like millions of them and they're coming down and you realize you're tiny in the space. You're this pale blue dot in the vast ocean of darkness. And it makes you say what King David said, which was, oh my goodness, when I consider the heavens and the stars, that you are even mindful of humanity is, is mind blowing. Right? Or, or you're on the beach and you're looking out onto the water. The water's coming in and the waves are big and the, there's a storm coming and you're there and you're in the midst of all of this. And to you, you're, you're, you realize just again how small you are and how beautiful nature really is, how powerful it is. Whatever the scene is, this, this is what Paul, I think, is, is, is capturing. He's saying even nature itself has a rhythm to it. It has a flow to it. It has a beauty to it. And it reveals something. But even though people saw this, they denied it. And then they began to create in fashion things that we call idols. And now clearly the conservatives, the Jews are over here going, <laughs> I knew it. He's talking about those Gentiles, those liberals. I knew it. Good. Get them, Paul. And Paul continues on and says, guess what? That's all of you. That's everyone. And that's in chapter two. Now, why he's saying this is not to say you're bad. This is one of those sermons. I want to tell you how bad you are and what you need to do. No, actually, he's saying, guess what? We're all screwed up. We've all failed. Every single one of us. There's nobody who stands higher than anyone else. And there's wonderful news in that because God has done something absolutely fantastic to resolve this. And that it is not up to you to, it's not for you to worry, to fear that you might miss, on some, miss out on something or, you know, God might be angry with you. But it's to recognize that since we are all in this thing together, that there is a new way that Christ has created that by, by Jesus's life. And you're going to see this repeated through Romans, his life, his death, 
his resurrection. It does not become, Paul is not using this as like a historical fact, like remember that Christ died for you, that Jesus died for you, and that's all you need to know historically. What he is saying is his life, his death, his resurrection is also your path. It's the same path you must go through. You have to live, you have to die, and you have to be resurrected. Not in the future resurrection, resurrected now. You have to go through the process. You have to die to the ego, die to the self, die to the things that you cling to, the things that by your own wickedness, you repress truth in the ways you do that. And you're gonna have to die to that. And it's gonna be hard, right? But then you're gonna be resurrected to new life. And the more you do that over and over again, the more life will come to you. And that's the promise he gives in Romans is more life will come to you. More joy will come to you. More love will come to you. You'll become alive. And then through that, he even says in Romans eight and further, he says, even nature itself will start to become redeemed because you'll be living the right way. So even nature, you will be part of the process of bringing nature back to a, to, to a right order. Right? So it's, it's, it's really um, kind of holistic the way Paul approaches this. So Romans chapter one is where we are. Um, so we've just talked about those who are informed versus those who are ignorant. Paul does not have a problem, just as Jesus did not have a problem with those who are ignorant, but those who are informed and should know better and still by their wickedness, they repress the truth. And Paul's saying that's the real issue and that's the real problem. And then he's saying, oh, by the way, we're all guilty of that. And oh, by the way, in terms of idolatry, we're all guilty of that too. And this is where we get to the next point that I wanna make, which is source versus resource. What he says is, see, there's this God that's revealed in nature, but this God is invisible. You can't see this God. You can't create any image after this God, not even in your mind. You can't create a denomination or a church that figures out who this God is. You can't do it. This God is beyond all that. And by the way, there is only one God. There isn't many different gods, which is actually wonderful news because the point he's saying is none of you have control of this God. God does not belong to your party. God does not belong to your denomination. God is greater than all of those things. And as a result, you and me, when we begin to create something and fashion something, let me give you some examples of how we do this. Uh, there are some of us who uh, we have this desire to be very, we position ourselves. We just have this desire to be very helpful to all kinds of people. And, and in our desire to be helpful to all kinds of people, we're trying to earn love, but we're doing it in a very sort of surreptitious way. Because instead of actually coming out and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm really feeling unloved and I would like to feel loved is we're going around trying to help people in hopes that they will finally meet our needs. And that is a form of idolatry because what it is, is that we're trying to fill a need that the ego has, the self has, and we're doing it in ways that uh, are not truthful. And we're, recognize, we're not recognizing that there is a source that is beyond all of those things. And we do not need to go chasing after these other things. There's some of us who, who, who hoard, who grab a hold of things, and we're so greedy, so tight-fisted on everything because underneath we have a fear that if we're not, that we are going to lose it all and we'll be, in we'll be destitute. 
And so we grab a hold and we hold on so tightly and we're completely unaware of how it impacts other people. And it's trying to meet a need within ourselves. And we have turned the source of all things, the divine, into the resource. And we're worshiping the resource rather than the source. Does that make sense? This is why it's like everyone. There isn't a single one of us that gets out of this. I'm an idolater just like anybody else is. And that's the point Paul is making is that you're all in this. We, we're all doing it. And the result of that is the list that he goes down where he starts saying, this is what happens is we become full of lust or full of greed or full of vengeance and full of, that like, if you continue down the path of pursuing resource and grabbing a hold of resource with tight fists, it turns ugly every single time. And we see what's happening within our own world, within our own country, because we see it not only in other people, which we shouldn't really, it should be we see it in ourselves. Because the goal here for Paul, when he says, hey, look at all these people who are doing this idolatry stuff, is once again, the group over here who are the, gen who are the Jews, who are conservative, are saying, aha, there you go, you liberal Gentiles, you're the ones who are, and then Paul flips it and says, no, 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 this is all of us. We're all doing this. And so because of that, there's a new way forward. And that new way forward is what we're going to be exploring over the weeks to come. But at very least, what I want to say about this in closing is our last point is faith versus faithlessness or faithless being faithless because faith and the way we think about faith is oftentimes faith versus many of us who've been raised as Protestants have heard a contrast and the contrast has been faith versus what? Faith versus doubt. But what in light, what about faith versus in, in the way we've thought about us, particularly as Protestants versus Catholics is that well, our argument has been, it's about faith, not what? Works. Not works. Right? Well, recent scholarship has kind of flipped that and said, that's actually not really what's going on here in Romans. And I agree, as I've read through Romans multiple times, it's not really what's happening there because it's not about not working. It's not about not doing anything because Paul's very, very clear about it. it is about doing something. So it's not faith versus works. It's faith versus faithlessness. It's, it's, it's this idea of you and I, we live either from place of hope and faith in what Jesus has done, faith in that God is actually working right now on planet earth or faithless in that we have lost complete hope and we don't believe in any of that. And then we're not doing anything other than grabbing a hold of resources to meet our own needs. And this is the way it goes, folks. We either believe that there's an eternal source that is benevolent and generous on planet earth, or we believe that it's all up to us and we will grab everything we can as we make our way to the top. You can't, you, you can't have, you know, this, this sort of like faith and still grabbing a hold of stuff. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying is you either believe that God has, has become uh, real in the person of Jesus and real inside of you. And you are Jesus right now on planet earth. 
And you begin to live that way in faith, believing that God is the source of all things and that the things around you, even relationships, people, some of you, it's people you cling to. It's like, I can't let go of this relationship. I can't let go. I can't let go. Even though the person is, is really bad, I can't let go. Why? Because they're the, they've become my source. They've become the idol. Now, my advice is not that you go destroy that person because they're the idol. You know, you don't go and ruin a relationship just, you know, because it's, it's bad because they're, they're an idol. The problem isn't them. The problem is you. <laughs> problem is you understanding I have turned and I will probably turn other people into idols. Unless I understand once again that they are not my source. That even if I lose this person and parents who uh, send off their kids once their kids are ready to, to, to go off to college, oftentimes I've run into this with parents who get like, oh, I can't let go of my child. And there's like the helicopter parent and they just, they're just like there, you know, setting up the dorm room. They won't even leave, you know. It's like, <laughs> you got to go, mom. Like really, or dad, you, know, you got to go. And there's this, there's this difficulty of letting go of that because it feels like if I let go of that, then what do I have? I've got nothing. And that's the existential fear we all have, isn't it? That if I do what you're suggesting, Joel, during the season of Lent, and we're going to be doing another fast during the season, but if I let go of these things, then what? It's existential. It's not up here. There's not this like rational thing. It's this fear that functions underneath all of that, that keeps us driving, keeps us moving, keeps us going. And and that's where we feel it. And and that's where we need to do the dying. Because in the process of saying no to to that part of ourselves, we're not saying no because we don't want to have any needs. We're saying no to the way we go about meeting our needs through grabbing a hold of resource and clinging to it and saying, no, there's a greater source and I will get my needs met, the deeper needs. Because the truth about a lot of this is for those who go around trying to help people and those who cling to things, there's a deeper need underneath. And the deeper need, oftentimes for some, it's I need to feel loved. And I don't feel loved. For some, it's I need to feel resourced and I don't feel resourced. For some, it's I I need to feel power. I need to feel in control and I don't feel in control. Whatever it is that's functioning underneath. The truth is that that need is going to be met, but it's going to be met not in the ways we normally do it. That's the difference between faith and faithlessness. It's faith that God is source and that everything that I need is present right here, right now. I'm already filled with all good things. And that's what begins to fill the hole in the soul. So I got it. I got everything I need right here, right now. That's my mantra. I say it all the time, all the time. I have everything I need right here, right now. This week has been a really tough week because Patty's been sick. There's been a lot of issues. So I've had to run around doing a lot of different things. Then we got into a little fender bender yesterday. And so then it's like, Okay, so my schedule gets ruined, right? You know what's going on in my, in my mind? It's like my resource is my time. I love my time. I love my space. I love, a, and I can feel it viscerally happening inside me where I'm getting frustrated and I'm getting like, you know? And so it's like every time that was happening was a deep breath in and saying, I have to go through this. This is a death to the ego. 
but I have everything I need right here and right now. I do not need anything else. And if I go through the death, then the promise of Jesus Christ is that I will be resurrected to new life. And that that ego drive, that compulsion will not, nearly, will not be nearly as powerful as it is right now in me. Whatever it is that's driving you, that's the thing that when you begin to move towards God in faith and trust, that you're invited to come up on the cross with Jesus Christ and to say, okay, here we go. It's all good. It'll be good. <laughs> It'll be fine. I will rise again, but it's going to hurt for a bit. And that's okay. Better that hurt than the hurts we create when we cling to our resources. Right? Because those hurts have a long-term impact. So this is what we're going to be going through for the next bunch of weeks. Not this topic, but we're going to be going through chapter by chapter and looking at what it means um, for Paul when he speaks about this idea, this new concept of faith and grace instead of a system of categories in religion that has kept us bound for so long. Let's stand and let's uh, worship together.